We're so glad each one's here this morning and looking forward to the time that we have in the Word of God. I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1. John's Gospel chapter 1, where we're beginning our series this morning of part that I will have entitled, Simon, Peter, and Me. Simon, Peter, and I want to emphasize, and me. But just make sure you remember, like I told you last night, when I say Simon, Peter, and me, don't be thinking it's Simon, Peter, and him, like me. But it's Simon, Peter, and you. Because we're going to see in the life of Simon, Peter, the things that he learned about the Lord Jesus Christ should also be applicable to our lives. And that's exactly what we'll read in John chapter 1, starting, if you will, in verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. I'll just read through verse 42. John 1, 40. I'm using the New King James translation. I'm sure you have no trouble following right along. John 1, 40 says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. I'd like you also to turn in your Bible. Hold your place here. We'll be right back. But turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, for our other reading this morning. Matthew, chapter 16. I'll begin reading in verse 13, and we'll read right through verse 20. Matthew 16, 13 says... When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And verse 20 concludes our reading, and it says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And we're glad to be able to say it wide open this morning that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to proclaim his name to everyone. Shall we ask the Lord to guide us in his word by prayer? Let's pray. Our blessed Father, once again, we bow in your presence and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. There's none like him. And the things that Simon Peter learned about him, Lord, we want to learn these things as well. We ask that you would guide us in your word this morning. In his name, amen. As I mentioned last night, the great thing about the study of the word of God is you can learn from the experiences of others and you can gain all the benefit without the embarrassment, especially when it comes to a man like Simon Peter. 
one that we all like to identify with them, with in different times, especially when we make a mess of things. But like one brother told me, he said, if you're going to compare yourself to Simon Peter, why not pick the day of Pentecost when he stood up and preached and 3,000 were saved instead of all the blunders that he made that we often like to identify with? Well, we're going to start this morning looking at a number of junctures or intersections in the life of Simon Peter as he intersects with the Lord Jesus Christ and learn the lessons of life through Simon Peter. But we start this morning with an introduction. I just have to clarify. I don't mean an introduction to the messages of the series. I mean an introduction when Simon Peter met the Lord and the Lord met Simon Peter. I got to tell you, they got off to a rocky start. I'll explain that a little bit more as we go. But you know how introductions are supposed to go. Hi, I'm Rex. Pleasure to meet you. And in response, the person you're meeting says, hello, I'm Keith. And so it works out in a two-way conversation, each one introducing themselves. But the introduction between the Lord Jesus and Simon Peter is very awkward. It's the exact opposite. And you'll see as we look in these two portions, as I've read already in John chapter 1, go right back there with me and we see the first side of the introduction that got off to a rocky start as Simon Peter meets the Lord Jesus. Look at what we read. In verse 40, John chapter 1 verse 40, we read, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41 tells us he first found his own brother, Simon. And I just want to pause there for a moment. Think of each word that I've read or each phrase and take it personally to your heart. Speaking of Andrew, having met the Lord, he together with John, he goes to tell Simon Peter, his brother, and it simply says this in verse 1, he... That's personal, isn't it? Do you remember what it was like when you first trusted the Savior as your very own? Who did you want to tell? You go to the person that you're the closest to, I have no doubt. Perhaps a brother or sister in your family, or perhaps your parents, or perhaps your best friend, someone who's personal with you. And Andrew did the same. I thank God for Andrew, don't you? He's a good example of an evangelist and a person who has the lost as a burden on his heart. He That's personal. The next word in verse 41 is first. That's urgency. You don't want to put it off. You think of somebody right now that you want to witness to. And you want to win to the Lord, not just witness like feeding the fish, but you want to make the catch and bring them to the Savior. There has to be an urgency about it. And it says he first. That's personal. That's urgent. And then it says in verse 41, He found. That takes some diligence. He was looking for the lost and made careful search until he found his own brother, Simon. And we see that phrase, his own brother. Now that's Simon Peter, the one that we're going to learn a lot about. And so making this introduction, Andrew has a pivotal role in introducing Simon Peter, as he says in verse 41, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ, or the anointed one, the Messiah. And in verse 42, here's what we read. And he brought him to Jesus. That's how you do an introduction, isn't it? 
Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon. Do you see how awkward this introduction is? It should be that Peter, Simon Peter says, hi, I'm Simon Peter. But that's not the way it works because the Lord knew him. He knew everything about him. Even the very hairs of his head are numbered just like he knows you and just like he knows me. He knows you better than you know yourself. Aren't you glad for that? Why? Well, because he still loves us. Uh, The more you get to know somebody, the less you think of them. But the more you get to know the Lord, the more you think of him. And the more he knows you, he knows you through and through. And he still loves you just the same. He can't love you anymore and he won't love you any less. And it says, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Let me just think through these statements here in this awkward introduction. You are Simon. He knew him personally. The son of Jonah. He knew his parents. You shall be called Cephas. He knew his plan. The plan that he had and the potential that Simon had was clear to the Lord because he knew what he was going to make him to be. And so he knew him personally. He knew his parents. He knew his potential. You shall be. And then he says, called Cephas. He knew his plan. And what is the plan that he had for Simon Peter? Here's the plan. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, I want you to keep it in your mind and in your heart that this is God's plan that the Lord Jesus had for Simon Peter, that he would be called Cephas, meaning he would be a stone. First time I came here, I was just amazed to be at Yosemite. I'd heard about it, but now my eyes have seen it. And when I saw around me all these rocks and stones, the Lord laid on my heart way back then, if I ever get to speak here again in the will of the Lord, I'd like to speak about Simon Peter. Because the Lord Jesus said, you're going to be a stone. Now, what's a stone? Well, it's a lot like a rock, (laughs) only smaller, you understand. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus says that Simon would be. You shall be called Cephas, meaning a stone. And so in this first half, or this first side of the introduction between the Lord Jesus and Simon Peter, we see it established clearly that Simon Peter, or Simon, would be Cephas, a stone. That's one half of the introduction. The other half is back where we read in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's turn right back there for a moment, please. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, starting in verse 13 where we read, because there you see the other side of this introduction. And then once we get the introduction established and Simon knows the Lord and the Lord makes it clear that he knows Simon through and through, we're going to see that starting or the beginning of the work to work in Simon what is well-pleasing in his sight to make him what he wants him to be. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, we've got to set the stage a little bit here and get a backdrop established. 
because in verse 13 it tells us when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. It's a place about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. If you've been to Israel, you're already picturing it in your mind. It's one of the most beautiful areas you can imagine because it has this huge rock backdrop, like a a huge stone mountain that you can't see around and you can't see over. And in beautiful color, this backdrop serves to be the backdrop for a refreshing spring called the Banias Spring. And there, it was the very place or center of idolatrous worship of all things that the Lord would take His disciples there, but it would provide the backdrop that He needed for this interaction that's about to take place in the introduction. The backdrop of this stone mountain was filled with niches hewn out of the stone, little alcoves of all different sizes that would house idols of pan, who, of course, the Greeks said is everywhere. But I want to tell you that this backdrop of this idolatrous mountain would only serve as a contrast to what would take place there. Caesarea Philippi, a place that Herod's nephew built in honor of Caesar and, of course, himself. (laughs) So he called it Caesarea to honor Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, so he could get in the picture as well. And so, you know, idolatry, what is the very heart of idolatry? It's nothing but self. In the last days, men will be lovers of their own selves. That's the ultimate idol. Even when Antichrist takes his place, his number is going to be 666. That's man, man, man. The ultimate idol is lovers of their own selves and making themselves idols. And so Philip was right there with the rest of them. And so in this idolatrous backdrop of a mountain, the Lord Jesus took his disciples. And you not only find out about the place, but you wonder what the purpose of it all was that he would take them there. And the purpose, well, he often took his disciples away from all of the busyness in ministry for a rest. But I believe there was more to it than just the purpose of a rest. I believe they were there for a test. And here's the test. In verse 13, the last half of the verse, we read the test question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, as far as questions go, it's an indirect question. I like indirect questions, don't you? Because if you get an indirect question, it doesn't matter how you answer it. It's the direct questions that are a little bit more convicting. I believe that one of the best ways to be a witness to someone is to try the indirect approach leading up to the direct point that you're going to zero in on their need for the Savior. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he's masterful, isn't he? Because he's the master. And he asked the indirect question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, it's open season for any kind of answer, isn't it? Because surely you can say almost anything that you've heard what other people say. And so they had quite a long gamut of answers to the indirect question of what the Lord Jesus had just asked. Look what he said. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Jeremiah. 
Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets or that one prophet that was promised by Moses that would come. And after that indirect question, the Lord Jesus saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He had a further question. And this is where he moves to the direct question. Now that's where you get to squirm a little bit. It's the direct question that always gets me. I have a habit. I didn't realize I had a habit of it until I got a hole in my right shoe. And it was right under my big toe. Well, we're really being personal here, aren't we? I noticed I had a hole in my shoe under my big toe. So I took it and got it repaired. I'm too cheap to buy new shoes. And, you know, about two years later, I had another hole, the same place, same shoe, under my right toe, my big toe. I took it back to the shoe repairman and he said, how do you do this? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to try to figure it out. It wasn't long after that I was enjoying some good fellowship with a, a Bible teacher that I esteem very highly, and he was asking me some questions, and I realized what I was doing. I was digging in my right toe. The pressure's got to come out somewhere, and I was rubbing a hole in my right sole, not S-O-U-L, you know, you understand, the sole of my shoe, because it was such a direct question, I was afraid I'd get it wrong. And we are oftentimes put on the spot but when the Lord asks the direct question, there's no getting out of it. You can squirm. You can drive your toe down into your shoe if you want to. But eventually, you've got to face the question. And here's the direct question. But who do you say that I am? That's the question that will determine your eternal destiny. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. One day, your soul will be asking, what will he do with me? Because what you think of Christ is going to determine where you spend eternity, how you live, how you think, everything about your life. It is such a direct, pointed question that there's no escaping it, no sidestepping it. You've got to meet it face on. I know what it means, and you do too if you know the Savior, to be un under conviction by the Spirit of God who is driving home that question, who is this one, the Christ? What do you think of Him? And until you answer that question, you have no peace in your heart. And only the answer that comes from that question, as Simon Peter gives it, will give you peace in your souls. And we know that, don't we? And we thank God for it. I wonder, someone here today may not have settled that question and answered that question to know he is the Christ, the Savior of sinners, and taken him for your very own. This is the time to do that. There's an urgency about it. Don't wait for the Tuesday night gospel meeting or the Thursday night gospel meeting. Right now where you are at, you can settle that matter that will determine your eternal destiny simply by recognizing he's the Christ, I'm the sinner, he's the Savior who died for me, and you can receive him as your very own personal Savior. Wouldn't that be great to do today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So don't put it off. Simon Peter answered the direct question in the right way. And here's what he said. In fact, it's more than just an answer. We call it the confession, meaning that he states with the same words of God 
who the person of the Lord Jesus is. Notice it, please. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a statement. What an answer. What a confession. Clearly stated, Simon says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. Now, you have two grand titles for the Lord Jesus in this portion, don't you? Who do, you, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That was his favorite title for himself. In fact, in the New Testament, you see him refer to himself as the Son of Man about 80 times compared to the other titles. We also say he's the Son of God, and that's completely right. But he likes to call himself the Son of Man. Now, sometimes we might think the Son of Man is dealing with his lowliness or his meekness, but I want to tell you, the Son of Man is used in every different way, whether it's speaking of the meekness or the lowliness or humility of Christ, or whether it's speaking of the exalted glory of His person. He speaks using that title of Himself whenever He's dealing with man. And in His relating with man, He shows us what God is like. He's the Son of Man, the Son of Man who had no place to lay His head, though the birds of the air have nest and the foxes of the earth have holes. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay His head, but there on the cross He laid His head. But when he was challenged as to his identity, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? He said, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and glory around him. You see him coming to this world as the one who is over all, the Son of Man. But he's also the Son of the living God. Amazing, isn't it? That God became flesh and came and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Did you catch the other side of the introduction? You are Simon. That's what we read in John. You are the Christ. That's the other side of this introduction. But it, he did get off to a rocky start, didn't he? How rocky was it? Well, let's look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's very similar to what he said in John chapter 1. You are Simon, son of Jonah. That's what Barjona means. Bar just means the son of, like Timaeus. We call him Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. I don't know why we don't call him Bartimaeus. But the blind man that we met, his father was Timaeus, and he was Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus. He was the son of his father. Here's Simon Barjona, the son of Jonah, just like we read in John chapter 1. But look at this. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, your daddy didn't tell you this. It wasn't Jonah, your father, flesh and blood, who told you this. Because you don't get the wisdom that comes from God from man. It won't come from flesh and blood, no matter what academy you may attend, no matter how many degrees you may have after your name. The knowledge or the wisdom of who God is doesn't come from the agency of man. Not flesh and blood, 
but from my Father who is in heaven. It was by spiritual revelation, not by education in man's standards, but by divine illumination, a revelation of who God is. And Simon answered correctly. He was commended for it. Blessed are you, happy are you, Simon Barjona, because this didn't come from man's agency, but it came from my Father who is in heaven. Now look in verse 18, because now we're going to see the rocky start. And similar to when the Lord Jesus met Simon in John chapter 1, here we read in verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Now we read in John 1, you are, or you shall be called Cephas. It's the exact same name, just a different language. Cephas, Aramaic. Peter, Petros, is the Greek name. And you are Peter, and now notice this, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And on this rock, you see why I wanted to Consider Simon Peter with you here, with all this backdrop, the same similar setting of the backdrop at Caesarea Philippi, this idolatrous backdrop of rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the very place in Caesarea Philippi called the gates of hell, there with all of the idols, Satan's capital and center of idolatrous worship, just like that. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against what he was about to build. But we just got to make sure we got a foundation that's really true and able to stand the test of time. Because he says to Simon Peter, you are Petros, that's the Greek masculine form or for the masculine gender of his name, Peter. But upon this rock, which is the same basic word, but a different gender, because he uses the word Petra, which simply means a feminine gender of the rock, meaning that it's not just a person, but it's more of the statement that was made. The very confession of who Christ is when Simon says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the bedrock. That's the Petra. It's the expression of who Christ is. And on this foundation stone, as the Apostle Paul says, other foundation can no man lay other than what was laid, which is Christ Jesus himself, the foundation stone. And upon this rock, not Peter, but upon this rock, Petra, this bedrock, who is Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. It'll never give way. On this rock, the church would be built. And what is the rock other than who Christ is? You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of sloppy thinking about what the church is built on. It's built on none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though Simon would be Cephas, Petras, a rock, a stone. Make no mistake here. He is not Christ. The church is not built on him, but rather the church is built on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Praise God for a great foundation. It won't give way. 
He won't give way. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 28, Behold, in Zion I will lay a stone, a foundation stone. And that's none other than the person of Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now look just a little bit further because after this commendation and after this conclusion, the other side of the introduction, instead of, Hi, I'm Peter, nice to meet you, I'm the Lord Jesus, it was an awkward start, wasn't it? Because it was the exact opposite. The Lord said, Simon, you are Simon. (laughs) And then he asked Simon, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, you are the Christ. And the introduction is complete. Aren't you glad for that? Rocky as it is, the introduction is complete. That doesn't mean I'm finished preaching yet. (laughs) But while the introduction is complete, our series is entitled, Simon, Peter, and... Okay, I thought I, I thought I could get a couple of you on that. Huh? It's Simon, Peter, and me. How does this apply to me? What will I do with what I've learned from Simon, Peter? Now, this is where we gain the benefit without any of the embarrassment. Let's go over in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. In studying the life of Simon, Peter, I have... <laughs> Now, this is, not, this is not profound, you understand. But I finally realized that the things that Simon Peter writes about in his first and second epistle came from the things that he learned about through the Gospels. I know it's not profound, but for some reason, because it's in a different book, I, I never made the connection. Don't make the same mistake that I've made for so long. Make the connection. Because the things that you learn from the Lord Jesus, they should be lived out in your life. And that's exactly what Simon Peter did. It's Simon Peter and me. Am I going to learn his lesson? Look what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. And as I read in verse 4, I want you to count because I'm going to read through verse 8. And as I count, you're going to see what a rocky start everything got off to with this introduction you'll notice seven stones that are mentioned. Now, our brother prayed that the Lord would show us some of the gemstones along the way. I want to show you some of the hemstones along the way. Because Christ is the rock. And as we learn more about Him, we look at Him from every different aspect. And no matter what perspective you're looking at Christ, you're seeing Him as the rock, who's rock solid. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, coming to him, here's the first one, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen, that's the next one, by God, and precious, that's number 3. Verse 5 says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Look in verse 6, halfway through the verse. Behold, I lay in Zion, and here's our next one, a chief corner stone, elect and precious. That's another one. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, look at this next stone. The stone which the builders rejected, 
He is the rejected stone, has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And then lastly, and a rock of offense. Christ is the living stone, the chosen and elect stone, the chief cornerstone, the precious stone, the rejected stone, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. Brother John Bramhall used to say, Christ is the rock. Any other rock is a sham rock. Don't fall for it. Only Christ is the rock, and He's the one that has filled our vision today. Looking at Him through the eyes of Simon Peter, we see Christ as the rock, the one in whom is all God's delight. But here's my question. You notice verse 4, coming to Him as to a living stone. Now look in verse 5. You also as living stones. What is a stone? You can ask Cephas. What is a stone? You can ask Petrus. What is a stone? Well, it's a lot like a rock, only smaller. Peter was just a little pebble or a little stone. But that stone resembles the rock, even Christ. And that little stone would be like Christ. Here's the, here's the point. All that God had intended for Simon Peter, he intends for you and for me. That as he began at the introduction we had with him, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And what is it? Well, it's an answer to the prayers that I heard prayed this morning. That the Lord would conform us to be more and more like Christ. You are Simon. You shall be. All the potential is there for you and for Simon and me. You shall be called Cephas, a stone. And what he began in Peter's life, we see it lived out through the rest of the Word of God as we're going to see in our study. But what he began in your life, he's making you more and more like the rock, like Christ. And we're becoming more and more Christ-like until that day we see him and we'll be like him and we'll be with him forever. Now, just by way of closing application, don't be a stumbling block. Be a stepping stone. Don't cause people to trip over you and miss him. <laughs> Be a stepping stone that draws people closer and closer to him. As we just consider Simon Peter and me. Shall we pray? Our Father, as we bow in your presence, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is all your delight. And in him you have begun a work through him to make us more like him. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will take the things we've read in your word, let them have their perfect way in our lives to make us more like our Savior, that rock, even Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.